Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 337 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Today on the show, we'll be discussing the Netflix original series, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which is an adaptation of a comic book series published by Archie Comics. And this will involve spoilers for the entire first season, so just be aware of that. And I'm joined by three guests. So first up, we've got Anthony Ha, making his ninth appearance on the show. He covers media, advertising, and pop culture for the new site TechCrunch, where he also hosts the podcast Original Content. A chapbook of his short stories called Love Songs for Monsters was published by Youth in Decline in 2014, and he has a story forthcoming in Lady Churchill's Rosebud Wristlet. So Anthony, welcome to the show. Thank you, I'm excited to be back. Then next up, we've got Andrea Kale, who you may remember from our panel on Disenchantment back in episode 324, and our panel on Game of Thrones spoilers back in episode 146. She's a graduate of the Odyssey Writers Workshop, and her short fiction appears in Writers of the Future, Volume 23, Fantasy Magazine, and Lightspeed. She's also a television writer and producer, and was the script supervisor for Late Night with Conan O'Brien. So Andrea, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And also joining us today is Raphael Jordan, making his sixth appearance on the show. He's written over 25 feature films that have premiered on video and cable television, including The Lost Colony, Legend of Roanoke, The Immortal Voyage of Captain Drake, Star Runners, and Vampire Nation. One of his films, Yeti, was the Sci-Fi Channel's highest-rated original program of 2008. So, Raphael, welcome to the show. Always glad to be here. Thank you. All right, so let's start off with Anthony and have you tell us what were your expectations going into The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina? Um, I think my, I, I really wasn't sure what to expect because I'd watched Sabrina the Teenage Witch sitcom when I was, um, also a teenager. And I knew that the show was going to be very different. And Netflix had really been pushing this horror angle in its promotional materials. But I, you know, there was a part of me that was like, well, you can't really do a horror show with these characters, can you? And so I think my closest point of reference is probably Riverdale. And and I thought it would be sort of this kind of like soapy, lightly horrific um, kind of show, but still sort of recognizably Sabrina. Um, and I think I mean it was sort of there there were definitely some surprises and 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 it wasn't exactly like Riverdale, but I think it was sort of within spitting dis- distance and kind of a, a good reference point. And just if, in case people don't know, Riverdale is a recent show which is set in the Archie Comics universe, and it's sort of a gothic mystery version of Archie. That's right. And I think that was a show where when I first heard that pitch of, hey, it's a murder mystery with Archie characters, I thought, wow, that is a terrible idea. And it's far from a perfect show, but it is a much better time than I was expecting. And so when I heard the same, a kind of a similar pr- pitch around Sabrina, where it was like, oh, it's going to be more grown up, much scarier. My initial instinct was to be like, that sounds really dumb. Why would you do that? But then also to say, well, give it a shot, like the way you gave Riverdale a shot. Yeah, I actually think Riverdale is really good. I mean, I really like that show, which I was not expecting to like an Archie show. Uh, but I had a friend who said it was good, and I watched it, and I was like, wow, this is actually really good. Um, so you say you used, to, you used to watch Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Do you, um, do you have fond memories of that, or was it just there was nothing else on, and you would just sit in front of that? Probably halfway between the two in that, like, I watched it, and I think I think if I were to guess, I, I've watched a pretty significant number of episodes. For some reason, I remember it's like the first place I heard of the Violent Femmes. Um, I think there's an <laughs> episode where Gordon Gano is a guest. Um, but 
I don't like. I mean, I haven't watched it probably since it you know was airing. I you know it's not something that I've ever felt the need to return to. So it's not like this important touchstone to me. It's just something that I you know enjoyed and appreciated when it was on. But you know that's that's about the extent of it. I mean, I never watched Sabrina the Teenage Witch, and I just tried to watch an episode just out of curiosity, and I I struggled through about ten minutes, and and I just gave up. <laughs> I mean, it's like a sitcom. There's a laugh track. Uh, it's just there. Uh, there, it, it didn't appeal to me at all. Yeah, I mean, I I certainly have not seen it recently, and and would not attempt to mount any kind of defense of it. I <laughs> you know I think it was something I enjoyed at the time. Beyond that, I I really couldn't say. Yeah. How about Andrea, Sabrina the Teenage mm-hmm. Witch? Yeah. Um, as far as expectations going in, I didn't really have much. I have many. I was looking for something to amuse me. <laughs> and I didn't want to watch uh, Hill House because it was going to scare the hell out of me. So I just opted for uh, Sabrina and was very pleasantly surprised. Um, you know, I remember the, the uh, Melissa Joan Hart show from the 90s. I didn't really watch it. I was slightly too old. Um but I did try and go back just for this to look at an episode just like you. And I was just like, whoa, no. <laughs> it was it was just – I'm still dealing with the uh, saccharineness of that. It was not my thing. And also yeah, the, the, only... the apex of cat puppets. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, I think that should come back. Any kind of puppet on TV. It's not – you know, TV isn't creepy enough without puppets. Um, so, yeah, I mean, very, very pleasantly surprised. I – bang through them really quickly in a couple of days. Um, and I think for me, the appeal was not so much the teenage story, which I th- I thought was cute, um, which is an odd thing to say since everybody else is like, oh, it's so dark. I was, I found it adorable. Um, <laughs> but uh, I was there for the adults, the two aunts, the, um, the, the uh, high priest and okay, Andrew, I'm going to stop you right there. Yeah, we'll 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 get into all that, but um, right now, just talk about expectations going into the show. I I had none. I literally had none. I was just looking to be entertained, and that was they certainly delivered on that. And you had not seen Riverdale, right? I hadn't. I watched it um before this, also for this. I honestly, I wasn't. In, I didn't really click. It didn't click with me. Um. Uh, I think because it wasn't as humorous as I was hoping for. That's really the sort of thing that it, it did. It took itself a little too seriously. Um, yeah, it didn't hit with me. Sabrina totally did. Interesting. How about Raphael? What were your expectations going into this show? Had you watched Riverdale or uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch or any of that stuff? I never watched the original Sabrina. It just wasn't really my thing at all, kind of what you alluded to. Um I'm not too up on Riverdale. My girlfriend watches it religiously, so I've seen some episodes here or there. So I didn't actually have expectations at all. Um, aside from the fact that I did know some of the people involved behind the scenes, so I I did actually have hope that it would be pretty cool. And then I heard that it was going to be a darker take on the whole thing. And actually, I really liked the tone of it. Um, I was impressed from the get-go that it was kind of a darker take. I mean, by the second or third episode when they're in that maze, uh, that was legitimately scary. So I really enjoyed that. And I, I kind of liked the whole aesthetic they created, the surrealistic vibe with the, the vignetting around the corners, you know, where it gets a little murky. I don't know. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I like I said, I liked Riverdale a lot. And then so I was actually my girlfriend and I were at a, a wedding and just somebody, somebody we were talking to these people at the wedding and they said, oh, have you seen the Sabrina trailer? 
And I was like, why would I want to watch that? You know, and, and they, but they showed it to us on, <laughs> mm-hmm. on their phone and it's like crazy. There's just like witches hanging in trees and <laughs> Sabrina screaming like rise with a hands or all this stuff. I'm like, and there's like really legitimately scary looking monsters and all this stuff. And, and I was like, wow, that actually looks awesome. Um, so I actually had pretty, I would say pretty high expectations actually going into this. Um, and I'll say, I actually, I, I was really, really underwhelmed by the first episode. Uh, I, I thought it hmm. was sort of like, like, uh, I don't know that the tone felt off and it just felt like a lot of, particularly the high school stuff felt like it was just way too fast and way too perfunctory and felt actually sort of weirder and like more dreamlike than the satanic stuff which which you know I, I really felt like it could have done a lot more to establish a feeling of like this is a real high school this is the character's ordinary lives um and i think the show would have benefited tremendously from that um but so just on so uh, anthony what do you think about that did you have what was your reaction to the first episode i i would agree and and i would at the risk of going a little further ahead i would say probably the first three for me didn't work um and i i mean i actively disliked it um it took hmm. i think like it looked really good. Like it, you know, it was just like a, you know, just beautifully shot kind of in the same way that Riverdale is. Um, and I thought all the adult actors were really strong, but I agree that like something about it just didn't click. And, and I think part of it was like a lot of this initial conflict about whether or not Sabrina was going to go through with her dark baptism and, you know, sign this book. For some reason, I just didn't find it very compelling. I didn't find the high, like you said, the high school character is very compelling at first. Actually, I would say probably for most of the show, I was, I was underwhelmed by the, um, the regular, you know, high school human characters. Uh, and, and so it, it really felt like, yeah, it, it got off to a rough start, particularly the writing. And then it kind of picked up over time. Yeah, I agree with that. Let's just set up. So, so the premise is that there's this, uh, girl named Sabrina, a high school student, and she's about to turn 16. And one of her dad was a warlock. And her mom was a sort of normal mortal person. So she's kind of half witch. And she's been torn her whole life between the mortal world of everyday humans and the witch world of the uh, her, her dad's sisters, her two aunts who have raised her. Um, and on her 16th birthday, she's going to have to choose one path or the other. And that's how that's how it's set up. Um, and so, Andrea, I saw you said on Facebook that you were like, I'm in this show for the ants. And I agree with yep. that. They were absolutely hysterical. You want to talk yes. about them? Yeah, I mean, they're just – the two actresses are great, Miranda Otto and Lucy Davis. Um, the the tone of them, the the, the juxtaposition of those two um, personalities, um, Lucy Davis going, my darlings, is just the best thing. And also the interaction with um, the, the high priest is – hilarious the high priest by the way and i said this also on facebook is that he's just straight up doing uh barnabas collins from dark shadows which <laughs> if no nobody's ever seen it was a 1960s um soap opera but it was about vampires and and ghosts and stuff um and it was i mean now it's hilarious back then it was serious but <laughs> but if you watch it now it's great and um yeah that's what he is straight up doing and i loved that i was totally there for that um as far as the tone and the first three episodes i mean the tone immediately got me the the dark 1960s look to it even though it actually is set in a modern time um which at first, I thought I was. I, I went back and forth, and then I realized it actually is set in the. Well, it says time. like this happens 
today or something. There's, there's yeah. a text thing that says that, but then um, it has a very 60s aesthetic, mm-hmm. and I don't remember if there were ever any um, like cell phones or laptops. Yeah. My sense is no, there wasn't. There's no cell phones, no computers. Any telephone calls they make are on old rotary, rotary phones, phones, but they ha- also have a conversation in the first episode about the movie The Fly, and she references the Cronenberg version, which clearly is not 60s. Um, I actually really – yeah, I really enjoyed the fact that it was kind of um, a combination of the eras intentionally out of time to combine kind of mid, mid-century Americana, but like also modern – you know, topics and values. And it was interesting because they did include little Easter eggs almost. There is a laptop and there is a cell phone. But but, um, yeah, they're intentionally kind of hard to spot. But at one point, Ambrose is just sitting on the porch using a modern laptop. So I I, I spent Mm. a lot of time kind of, I I found myself analyzing each episode, (laughs) trying to figure out when it took place. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's what I started doing on my second watch. And I'm like, wait a minute, was I wrong? Is it not modern day? No, 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 it is modern day. <laughs> um, but yes, and now that you say it, I do remember him with the laptop on the porch. Um, it's funny that I found that nobody liked the first or people weren't hooked by the first three episodes. Well, cause- you, well Raphael, do you want to say who did you like the first three episodes? Um, actually I did. Yeah. Because I didn't have high expectations. I didn't really think the show was going to be for me. I expected to essentially launch right into Hill House, but I got completely Mm. diverted by this because I liked it right off the bat. Um, the first three episodes were essentially the initial chapter of her signing or not signing the book. And, uh, I thought that played out pretty well. I mean, I thought it struck a macabre tone that brought me in and, um, like you said, the, the the two aunts were great. Like the high priest is fantastic, and Ambrose is great. And you're right; I was much more into the underworld of the witches and the unseen arts academy than Baxter High and, and the modern day melodrama stuff. That didn't play as well for me, but yeah. overall, I did like it from the get go, and I thought it really hit its stride in the middle. Yeah, I agree. Well, so and, and these two aunts. So one of them is very um, nurturing and uh, supportive, and then the other is very cold and very status obsessed and I just, can i just interject here and say because of miranda otto and that character i am i have i'm i'm this close to buying a cigarette holder <laughs> do it yeah but it, it's just it's just so funny because she's a very sort of conservative woman but her conservatism is based in satanism so yeah, you know, yeah. She, she she's always saying you know praise satan or you know, praise satan, praise satan and um <laughs> And there's there's a part where um, this is skipping ahead a little bit, but but um, Sabrina is, is concerned about something scary that happened to her at school, and uh, Zelda's the the aunt's name. She says like, "Oh, just think of how upset Satan must be right now." You know, that's what she's concerned about. Um, and yeah, and, and all that stuff. I I just thought it was so funny. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, and I'll I'll say I was in this show 100 percent for the Satanism. That was I would never watch the show <laughs> if there wasn't Satanism in it. And that was what I and that's I, I loved all that stuff. And I really liked. Um, I mean, the um, you're talking about the high priest. Um, his name is Faustus Blackwood. Faustus. Yeah. And there's a part where um, Sabrina is having second thoughts about signing the Devil's Book, and so they kind of bring her over and have a conversation where he's going to sort of try to. Uh, assuage some of her uh, misgivings, and um, and it's really interesting because the, the the stuff he says it's sort of like this mixture of the Anton Lavey Church of yeah. Satan, yes, and um, and sort of Aleister Crowley um, stuff. <laughs> I mean, there's like you know Aleister Crowley is famous for saying "Do as thou wilt, shall be the whole of yep. the law," and um, and Father 
Blackwood says basically that same exact thing yep. um, at one point. Um, so uh, is everyone is everyone as big into Satanism as I am? <laughs> well, I do I do follow the Church of Satan on Twitter, so I don't know what that says. But <laughs> well, so do you follow the Church of Satan or the Satanic Temple? There's Church of Satan. Okay. Yes, I know there are two. They they are rivals. Like it's kind of hilarious. Yeah. So one is more um, sort of hedonism is my impression. I'm not an expert, but this is my impression. Yeah, I don't and know. one is more sort of like internet troll. Um, yeah. Like church state separation um, activism. Yeah. Uh, I suppose this is kind of a predictable thing, but I found a lot of my friends and I were enjoying the matter of fact nature of all the Satanism and just as a parallel or a converse to Christianity. But I did yeah. see um, in articles online and a few friends also objecting, like the people that actually identify as pagans or Wiccans or Satanists did not appreciate it. And that's probably something maybe we can go into later, I guess, with the whole controversy. But, um, you know, they basically thought it cast them in a pretty bad light and perpetuated misconceptions about Satanism. Um, okay. Yeah, is it, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to go, go on about, you know what, this is the same thing as, as uh, Italians being upset about TV shows uh, about the mafia. And it's like, uh, okay, but you know what, it's, it's TV. Just, right. it's entertainment. <laughs> Chill the fuck out. Sorry, can I curse here? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Yeah. yeah chill the fuck out, Church people. Of Satan type podcast. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm about to break out all the four letter words, Ned. <laughs> um. But yeah. So let's. Let me just say. Um. It was. It, it was interesting. I actually listened to an interview with one of the writers on the show. His name is Joshua Conkle, and he describes himself as a practicing witch. Uh. And so he obviously was not of the view that they were trying to cast dispersions on witches or Wiccans or pagans or anything like that. I mean, he was sort of saying, this would be my take on it, is that there's this long literary tradition of stories about witches making deals with the devil, uh, and it's a perfectly valid artistic choice to, you know, to, 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 to sort of work in that creative space. And it's just a TV show. I mean, it's, it's largely a comedy um, yeah, and, exactly. Uh, you know, I, I think it's perfectly legitimate. It was sure. I, I, Actually, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I'm sorry. Just one real quick thing. Since you brought that up, I just want to point out that I am in fact Sicilian. So if anybody gets angry about me talking about Italians getting pissed <laughs> off about the, the mafia, I am in fact my family is from Sicily. I, I so I have a right to say this. <laughs> there you go. I'm done. <laughs> hey, I'm a quarter Sicilian as well. How about there you go? <laughs> but yeah, I did. I did see some people essentially that were, I guess, um, upset that they're conflating witchcraft with Satanism because. A lot of Wiccans and witches don't believe in Satan, or at least don't, uh, you know, revere Satan. But uh, yeah, who knows? I mean, it is just a TV fantasy show. And I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, my, my feeling would be if they made a realistic show about Wiccans, uh, I mean, that might be cool, but there would be no real magic in it. And it would no. be just a completely different they, kind they of show. Be kind of boring but maybe that's just me <laughs> yeah i think like the show it seems to me that it's very clear that the sh i mean that it's clearly trying to play with some references to real like real world witchcraft and the history of you know witch trials and things like that but that fundamentally it's not trying to be a realistic depiction of witchcraft i mean i think that's sort of self-evident and that doesn't necessarily mean that people can't be have objections to the way it's portrayed but i think at least it is it's very 
um, self-evident that it's it's a fantasy, and and so you have yeah. to sort of treat it as such. Um, I will say, like, the, it also the tone. I think the way it treated it kind of evolved, and this also speaks to kind of why I liked. I think the the back half of the season more was that I think at the beginning. Some of this maybe is just is the tone of the writing. Some of this is just getting used to it. Is there's this sort of tongue in cheek quality, whereas you were saying it's almost like there's just like an equivalent of any of um you know it's taking things from Christianity or from traditional religion and then just sort of adding the word dark or unholy <laughs> or whatever yeah. to it. And at, that was fine. It didn't. I thought it was a little lazy. Versus like I think towards the end of the season, it actually gets into the sort of more fantastical elements. The darker elements of like, you know, human sacrifice and cannibalism (laughs) and stuff like that. And that to me was much more interesting than just the sort of tongue in cheek, like, see, like, it's the same, but it's not the same. Well, I mean, I mean, the um, the conversation that I mentioned between Sabrina and Father Blackwood, she says, I'm not an evil person, Father. And he says, of course, you're not. I'm not. Your aunts aren't. We're none of us are evil people. And I I thought that was really interesting. And I, I, I wish there had been a little bit more about what these satanists in this fictional world actually believe and how they how they see themselves because it felt like it wasn't totally consistent um i i agree with that um because clearly none of them are really evil they're conniving but you know that's what humans are um but and also that fed into my the the couple of criticism i criticisms i have is i'm not quite sure why she doesn't want to sign the book she's she's known about this for 16 years and suddenly all of a sudden she's like what do i do i can't decide um well, i just thought that was that she has i mean like you would think that this is her religion that she's been raised with but she's yeah. not know even the most basic precepts of it until the <laughs> night before yeah. her like baptism or confirmation yeah. kind of things which is another thing i thought was a little odd but well, I suppose, um, if I recall correctly, the big dilemma for her was giving up her boyfriend and her high school friends. Because if you do devote yourself fully, then you have to leave that life behind. But I thought the solution was actually pretty interesting, that since she's half human, half witch, she was able to retain a foothold in both. Yeah, but I find it strange that nobody thought, hey, maybe we shouldn't put her in a human world. If they're trying to make her this full witch... Wait, whose decision with that? Yeah, that was that was pretty bad. <laughs> right. Like, why not just homeschooler from birth? Right. Why, exactly. Why? Exactly. Uh, um, to your other point a moment ago, uh, one of the actors I really liked was uh, Tati Gabrielle. As oh, she, she was yeah. great. She was but great. I, but I did, to your point that nobody was evil, I found her and her sisters to be a little inconsistently written because one moment they were helpful and clever and conniving, but then they were kind of evil. But then also they, they kind of went back and forth a bit. So that was a little inconsistent to me because at one point they're killing humans out of spite and they're kind of trying to straight up murder Sabrina at one point. I, I don't yeah. Know. Well, uh, my take on that is that they're playing the role in this of the bitchy cheerleaders. And so I don't know that they're good or bad. They just have their own ends in mind. It's about, you know, it's a selfishness as opposed to, mm-hmm. you know, if I have to help you, if it helps me, then I'll do it. But we're not friends and I'm going to take you out if I can. And that doesn't strike me as evil. That strikes me as bitchy little teenage girl, which is consistent as you know, from my experience of (laughs) bitchy little teenage girls. Uh, I also just want to talk about two things that seem to have been very clearly a huge influence on this show. And one is Harry Potter. And Mm -hmm. the other is the 2015 movie, the witch directed by Robert Eggers, uh, which tries to take, 
which tries to present a witch story as if everything the Puritans believes about witches was literally true, and and this is how it plays out. And so, and I thought it was interesting because um, Raphael, you were mentioning the that the Satanic Temple uh, had a had an issue with <laughs> with this show, um, which, and, and they said, yeah, that one of their um, complaints was that they used their specific <laughs> statue that they had made in the show. It's like an essential yeah. of the Academy of Dark Arts, and it's, it's, it's like every shot. I mean, it's a, it's yep. huge, a huge presence in the show. But then their other complaint was what you were saying before that it makes Satanists look bad and connects them with evil and stuff like that, which I thought was a strange complaint because they had actually endorsed the movie The Witch in 2015, which seems to me to do exactly the same thing. I mean, it's an amazingly mm. good movie. Um, but uh, I don't know. What do people think? Uh, Anthony, what do you think about? Did you follow this statue controversy? Do you have any opinion on, on that? The the statue controversy? That one I didn't. <laughs> I followed some of the other controversies, but not that one. Uh, all right. Well, let me explain that. So, so, I... so, so Sorry, the, go ahead, Dave. Yeah, so the satanic – and this is absolutely hilarious. But So the satanic temple, <laughs> as I mentioned, is sort of this like semi-trollish um, church-state separation activist group. And so there's this huge issue with um, uh, government uh, property and government funds being used to promote partisan, um, you know, sectarian Christian um, causes in the United States. And this this really should not be allowed under the First Amendment separation of church and state, but, um, you know, they, they, they do it anyway. Um, and so one of the kind of loopholes that the Supreme Court put in place said, well, it's okay for the government to spend money promoting Christianity as long as it's a, there's an open forum for other religions to promote their views as well, uh, which, you know, should not at all be the case under the First Amendment, but, but that's what the case law is as it stands. And so the um, Satanic Temple comes in and says, okay, well, if anyone can promote any religious view in the public square, we want to put our satanic monument up next to the Ten Commandments on a church, uh, on a, a court lawn and stuff like that. And so they they crowdfunded this amazing statue of Baphomet, which is this goat-headed satanic figure. And he's sort of sitting on this throne with his holding up his two fingers in the air. And he's got a, a pentagram on his head. And then there's two kids sort of <laughs> kneeling at his feet, worshiping him. And, uh, and it's, it's just amazing. And... Um, the funniest thing I saw was that they, uh, when they were unveiling it, this was years ago, um, they were afraid that people might try to get in and, and damage it or destroy it or something. And so they had a party and they, in order to get, get uh, in order to go to this party, you had to show up to one party and then you had to uh, sign the book swearing your soul to the devil in order to find out where the real party was. And they figured <laughs> that that would keep out any troublemakers. <laughs> um but so yeah, so fast forward. So they they made a like an exact replica of that exact statue and put it in this movie or put it in this TV show, and then the Satanic Temple sued them, and um, it sounds like there was like an out of court settlement. Um, my personal opinion is th the lawsuit seems a little uh, frivolous to me. I mean, uh, if their argument is that this is their intellectual property and they and the show appropriated their intellectual property without getting the rights to it, that's totally fair. But that seems to me to cut against the idea of this being a legitimate uh, religious icon. You know, I, I feel like if you were to make a um, a replica of a crucifix from a sp specific church, they would never sue you for intellectual property infringement. Um, I was going to say the same exact thing. Basically, uh, from what I was reading, I kind of saw their perspective and I, it sounded like they had a case. But at the same time, if you're trying to be on equal footing with other religions, religious iconography can't really be something you can, you know, patent or copyright. I mean, that just seems to me antithetical to the concept. 
Yeah, so so I thought the lawsuit seems a little silly. I mean, I'm not an expert. I I I could have my mind changed, but I mean, I don't know. I like their church-state separation activism. So if they get some money out of Netflix, I guess it's not the worst thing in the world. But um, anyway, that's the controversy. I don't know, Anthony, if you have any opinions on that, just based on my quick summary of it. Well, I guess what it makes me think of is also like the fact that you know, uh, uh, there's this interesting line of I think both fantasy and horror where they'll take you know Christian iconography. And they'll sort of treat it in this sort of fantasy context. And and so I guess the, it sort of brings up also this question that we were talking about before of like, to what extent is it okay to sort of take things that people, you know, take literally seriously and, and, and believe to be true and then sort of treat it in this sort of fantasy context? And I think fundamentally, I mean, I think, you know, something that a lot of people do, I, th- I think it's fine. But um, it, it is interesting that they copied the statue exactly. That seems... A little like I mean again maybe legally totally fine if it's religious iconography but I mean given that they're trying to build what seems like their own sort of fantastic world here I it seems like it, you'd want to sort of just create your own iconography for that. I mean I did see a comment from the production designer saying it was just a coincidence but that is very like basically impossible for me to believe because um, it's exactly the same statue and it has no prior um, you know there's no prior art for that statue that I'm aware of. Oh yeah, I mean, that's a cool looking statue. Of... That seems kind of an outrageous claim. I mean, honestly, if I was the production designer or art director, I, I would just say, look, we thought it looked really cool. And, uh, you know, these are a bunch of Satanists. So, sure. <laughs> See, Andrew, what do you think of this whole controversy? Well, the minute I saw that statue, I Im- immediately thought of the statue um, from the Church of Satan. Or, I'm sorry, the other guys. The Satanic <laughs> um, The Satanic Temple. Um, and... Because I come from a network television background and, you know, we have to clear everything, literally everything um, to put it on television or else we get sued. Um, I immediately kind of was like, oh, that's interesting. But so then I read about the controversy and that they were suing them and I wasn't surprised. But from what I understand, it's actually not a complete replica. It's not exact same. There aren't any children on it. There's a couple other differences. Um, so – I think there are. I don't. On it. I in the one on the show. Yeah. I I'm not sure. I did. I remember reading an article saying it's not an exact copy. Um, but it's hard to it's hard to not see the how similar they are. Um, so I, I was a little surprised to see that at first. Um, and then you know reading the controversy of the lawsuit, I wasn't surprised by that either. Um, but from what I understand, also the lawsuit is by the guy who – the artist who made the statue, not so much by the um, the Satanists. Is that – am I wrong there? I, I'm yeah, pretty I, sure I read that. I just don't know. Yeah. I, I think it was the artist and that is a valid lawsuit. Well, what's interesting is I guess this might have been a moot point if the Satanic Temple and Church of Satan were more impressed with their portrayal. So, it's, you know, because I know, like, I, from what reading I was doing up on this, I guess, their system of belief is not really a reverse Christianity. They don't believe in a literal Satan, which was news to me. But, like, basically, they're more into the hard sell that Father Blackwood was giving, um, the system of free will and consent and empowerment. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know enough about Satanists other than <laughs> other than what I gather from Twitter. <laughs> well, well, yeah, like just to be clear, both the Church of Satan and the Satanic Temple are not do not have supernatural beliefs at all. I no, mean, they're, no, they're like basically atheist humanist. Yeah, that's basically from what I radical um, yeah. activist groups. 
Yeah. They just like fucking with people as far as I can tell, <laughs> which, I, you know, I'm all for. I'm there for that. <laughs> uh, all right. But let's get back to this, this show. Um, so let's see. So, yeah. So as I said, the first – yeah, like um, – Anthony was saying too, the first three episodes, maybe three or four, I was kind of like kind of the first three episodes. I was like, eh, this is pretty bad. And then the next three, I was like, eh, this isn't great, but I'm kind of enjoying this. And then by the last four or so, I was like, this is actually kind of awesome. Um, so I, I really think this show does get better as it goes along. Um, like I think Anthony was saying, but, um, the, the first thing that really, um, where I was like, oh, I'm actually totally into this show right now was the, uh, the batty bat where um yes yeah uh where uh sabrina's in bed and her and and they've trapped this demon and her and and she asks asks her aunt what would have happened if we hadn't trapped the demon and the aunt says oh we would have all been trapped in this dream and it would have been awful and and you're like oh shit they're in a dream right now Uh, (laughs) and i thought that was really good and and i i liked one of the things i really liked about the show is that um, in the show, there's the Batabat, there's the Apophis, there's Psychopomps, these things from actual, you know, world mythologies and folklore. Um, and yeah. there's also a lot of um, literary references. I mean, a lot of the characters are named after like Algernon Blackwood and Nathaniel Hawthorne. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I just got the sense that the people writing the show were big horror fans. And, you know, you just it wasn't just like some dumb like show. Let's make this. No, absolutely not. Teenage Witch. It was yeah, it was made by real fans of the genre. I'm glad you mentioned that Batty Bat episode. That was actually my favorite one. Um, I thought, you know, it took place right in the middle, and it was kind of the one standalone bottle episode. Yeah, and exactly. So it had none of the frustrating, you know, high school hijinks, really, but it was just a good horror episode that was self-contained. I really liked it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And also my favorite part is is uh, Miss Wardwell walking through and walking into, you know, like – one of the other people and and they're like what are you doing here and she's like i don't i'm looking for somebody she's just randomly walking through the house through the dream she's the best part of that whole thing for me personally well and she's a great character so this is uh oh god yeah some sort of demon who's possessed um one of sabrina's teachers and uh and she's yeah she's just great i think yeah um see anthony did did your um enjoyment of the show kind of track with mine there or was was yours different i would say so yeah i mean um i think that i probably to me i once she got to the witch academy already like my interests like perked up quite a bit um but i think i was like sort of grudging about like how much because I, I, I like really just didn't like those first three i mean even there were elements already in the first three episodes that i think that were really promising like there's a scene in the second episode where they where Sabrina and the witch sisters trick um some of the bullies to going into the mine and they sort of torment them in the mine and yeah. I thought that was like an amazing scene and there are other individual things but it, as a show it wasn't working for me and then I think around 4 and 5 yeah is when I start being like oh like there is there's really it's not just that the direction is good but actually there's something here in the show and then as as I think we D- Dave and I were both saying, I think for me, definitely eight and nine are like my favorites where I, I think those are just, and, and, and I really like the finale too, but particularly sort of the dilemma around Harvey's brother, I thought was probably the most, by far for me, the most interesting storyline in the show. Um, I would say with Batty Bat, I thought it was like, it was a fun episode. It wasn't necessarily a standout for me. Um, also, I mean, when we were talking about influences, um, certainly I see, I could see The Witch as an influence. And I mean, that's a movie I love and, and, and think is pretty close to perfect. Um, but also I saw the influence of, of Buffy. I mean, I think that's, 
kind of another obvious one. And I think the Batty Bat episode was the one that felt probably the closest to me, like kind of a self-contained monster of the week Buffy episode. Um, and I mean, probably with like better, slightly better production values, but still Batty Bat was like, maybe one of the less successful visuals in the show. I wasn't like crazy about the way she looked. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> As you speak yeah. of the visuals, one thing I did really like was this, um, I think it's in maybe the first or second episode, uh, Sabrina bites into this apple. Yeah. This crazy vision of this tree where it's all saturated with red light. And there's all these witches hanging from the tree, except there's no rope. They're sort of hanging on invisible ropes. Yeah, and then the devil like comes out of the tree, and all, that was just freaking amazing, just on, on yeah. just on a surely visual aesthetic level. Yeah, yeah. As a as a TV show, they do really like the the production values are fantastic. They they really are. I agree with about the batty bat, but everything else is is amazing. It's such a, such a great look. I think which I touched on before, but uh, yeah, I really think it's a great, well 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 produced show. Absolutely. Um, can I make a quick? Um, uh, comment about influences um, yeah. for a minute. Um, actually, what I was thinking of as influences, and this is probably because uh, <laughs> I'm um, I grew up watching these shows, but but Bewitched and I Dream of Jeannie. Um, that those are the first two things that I went to, um, and and I just want to make sure everybody knows I I watched these in reruns. I did not watch them first air. Just <laughs> <laughs> can I, I just want to get that out there. Um, but you know, both of those shows were about. You know, obviously, Bewitch is about a witch living in a human world, and Genie is is a woman, another woman with power, a genie living in a human world, which is essentially what um, Sabrina is. Um, and the thing about both of those shows back then is both of them are really strong, powerful women who have to sublimate their power in order to please their their man. That's what you know. That's what the '60s were about, and that's what they did. And both of them were. Good girls, good wives, supported their husbands, helped them out, made them look good, um, and were nice and polite. And the evil sort of quote unquote evil people in those shows was always like the mother-in-law or Jeannie's sister, who I can't remember her name is, um, who wore, who did not sublimate their power to a man and had pretty much contempt. You know, and Dora had contempt for, for Samantha. And Jeannie, the sister, the evil sister, had contempt because they, sh- you know, stuffed their power down in order to make men look good. And the thing I, I, I like the fact that we've come a long way from that and we're telling girls, you don't have to do that. You can be powerful. But there is like an element of it in this show, which kind of irked me. That part where she says to Harvey, you know, if you could have all this power, but you would have to give up me, what would you do? And he says, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give you up. So then she decides to give up her power for him, who, by the way, Harvey's kind of a little bit of a milk toast. Um, <laughs> um, Absolutely. I'd, yeah, I'd kind of like to see her and I'd kind of like to see her and also give the message to young girls that, you know what, find a guy who's your equal, not somebody you can control and not somebody who's going to control you. Um, and I, I really wish they would hit those points more for young girls. Um, you can be powerful. You can be. Uh, smart and powerful, but you know what? Find an equal. If you if you want to find a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, find somebody who's your equal. Stop, you know, picking guys who are not as strong as you are. Anyway, that's my. I'm getting a the soapbox the soapbox right now. <laughs> well, no, no, you can you can stay on the soapbox for a second more because there's a lot of I would say pretty unsubtle sort of feminist 
messages to oh, the show. Oh, absolutely. I was, I was curious what you thought about that. I, th- I thought it was great. Um, you know, I mean, you know, the complete, the thing with the books, the whole, um, banned books was great. I love seeing all those characters. The, the other good thing about the later episodes is that they start to develop the Roz character and the Susie character and make them less, you know, like they're not so much our friends, but they actually have, um, you know, powers themselves and something else happens with them and they develop them. And I think that's great. Um, so I love the feminist thing. I want them to hit that more for their main character. Um, I hated watching her going, um, you know, I'm powerful, but I love my boyfriend who's kind of clingy and, a, you know, a bit of a, <laughs> a bit of a, a milk toast. That's the word I'm coming up with right now. But, <laughs> um, you know, I wish they would give her a little more independence from having to make the choice. Either, either you're evil and powerful or, um, you have a cute little boyfriend and you get to stay in your little high school world. I, I just wanted a little more of a range for her, you know, cause she chooses power at the end, but that's because she has to, not because she wants to anyway. I mean, also it's kind of ludicrous that she would be making such a big life decision based on a relationship when she's 16, but I guess that's yeah. part of the whole throwback to the fifties vibe that they're also going for. Right. And then again, twilight also kind of does the same thing. In that oh, modern, well. So I don't know. That's a whole other story though. <laughs> twilight. <laughs> Boy, I could I could write a doctoral dissertation on Twilight. Don't don't even get me started. So, <laughs> I mean, I think that's part of the conceit of any sort of like high school drama. I mean, is that you have to sort of take the decisions seriously and and believe that the decisions have consequences, even mm-hmm. though. In, you know, ripe old age, we sort of like look back and say, oh, actually, like most of that stuff, I mean, the emotions were real, but, you know, a lot of that stuff didn't matter as much as we think it did. And then I think especially when you sort of contextualize that in a horror show then or a supernatural show, then it just there's an element of just it has to be like, okay, it's going to be a big deal, even if actually it seems kind of crazy that it was. And I mean, again, I think that's part of also like the connection that I draw with Buffy. Well, could you expand on that, Anthony? Like, how do you think that this show compares to Buffy in terms of its portrayal of of sort of like using metaphors to express adolescent um, feelings? Well, I think that that just there's a a sense of, you know, that that and I think Buffy, you know, of course, it's hard to compare because a they're 20 years apart. And also that, you know, Buffy went for seven years and I think it deepened as it went along. So it's hard to know where Sabrina is going with this. Um but, but I mean, one of the things I think is that it uses the supernatural as a way of saying, I think when we try to deal with teenage emotions, a lot of times they can start to feel kind of trivial and it's easy to sort of like, again, have that distance. And I think one of the ways that, uh, or even a show like, like Riverdale, which isn't supernatural, but has this sort of genre element is that it just sort of like heightens the stakes and heightens the emotions. And so that sort of distance that we might feel from the teenage characters, I think it's suddenly like, it's like that is actually how it feels to be a teenager. Um, and I think the other connection, though, is I think that by having this sort of supernatural framework is it, it's hard for that to map directly to or, or, or very cleanly to an empowerment message. Like, I guess, particularly in Sabrina, right, it's that that she has like it's built into the concept that her power comes from this, you know, sinister force. And so, like. And I think that's part of what makes it interesting and, and, and creates these interesting challenges for Sabrina. But it also means that she can't just be this sort of clear-cut sort of feminist hero because, you know, in the context of the world, that that's not the choice that she's being offered. And, and so, like, I like that they're reconsidering, I think, some of the elements of the mythology and, and, you know, making it more diverse, trying to, like, 
raise some of these issues. But at the same time, I think, you know, what Andrea was saying in terms of like wanting her to be, you know, completely independent and, and not have to make these sorts of choices. I mean, I think some of that is just baked into the kind of show it is and some of the, the world that's been set up. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. That's that's fair. Teenage world is a different world than the one, you know, we as adults live in. Um but also I think because you're making a show about teenagers who are going to watch this and it's going to formulate their worldview, I, I just wanted her to be – I wanted her to have more choices than than have the cute little high school relationship and or be a, you know, an evil witch. <laughs> does does I mean, anybody Does anybody disagree with me that they should have had one or two episodes at the start that were – Mostly focused on just her everyday life in high school and making you care about that aspect of her life and making that seem grounded and real. Does anyone disagree with that? I don't. I don't necessarily agree with that. I, I don't know. That's a, that's an interesting question. I think if they had done that, I probably would have checked out. I just wouldn't. Yep. Have, I wouldn't. Have I, I, yeah, I agree with that. I, I I would not have watched it, but I understand why you're asking. Why you think that it should have been there? Because we don't care. I I don't care about her high school uh, <laughs> situation. I want to see her, you know, cutting a girl's, slicing a girl's throat open, and in the forest in a pentagram. I I want to see more of that. <laughs> I mean, I think that's what they were trying to do a little bit with those initial episodes, and I think particularly the second episode, which is about you know starting this. I can't remember if it's the second or if it's the first two, but like starting this like you know Wicca group, and then like you know getting revenge on these bullies, and so I think it's a little bit more immersed in it. But I think it's it's hard because yeah, like it, it, it definitely to, at least for it sounds like for for Dave and for me, like that didn't work. But I'm not sure an episode that has even less supernatural elements would have worked better. I just, I sort of felt like the the way that, at least to my mind, they introduced the Susie character, um, who is, um, I think the actor is, identifies as non-binary. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. And the character, I actually, from what I read, the character was intended to come out as trans during the first season and the actor, um, convinced the showrunners to push that back or or I'm not sure where they're going exactly with it, but to, to sort of make that more of a process. Um, yeah. But I, I felt like the way that character was introduced almost immediately, um, you know, facing the uh, dealing with this bullying situation and, and the founding this, this group made, made the character sort of seem like a, um, like an issue token kind of character. And, and I felt like, yeah, if we had just established more of the friendship and what, what life is like on an everyday basis before getting into that, uh, it might have just felt a little bit more more real or something. Um, uh-huh. hmm. No, no, nobody agrees with me. I, um, I think you're identifying I the problem. No. I'm just not sure. Yeah, it's sort of hard to see exactly what the solution is because it's like I'm trying to imagine this episode, which is just Sabrina's life. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, again, it seems like that's what they were trying to do. They just didn't do it well, and they, and they were mixing more of the supernatural and the the, the mundane elements. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, possibly. Yeah, I think it's an interesting catch twenty two. You know, um, I guess they could have done what flashbacks or something, but I, I don't know. I mean, I guess they probably just did whatever they could, but without starting the story farther back than they wanted to. Yeah, I mean, you have to start. It's the first episode. You have to start with what the main conflict is, and that's her signing the book. Um, you can't start back and go. Here's her being a cute little high school girl, 
and expect to hook anybody. You got to hook people in the first episode, and, and well, they did it for me. I don't, you know. Yeah, I mean, those elements weren't my favorite, but they didn't offend me either. I mean, I was basically fine. I mean, I had a few things I didn't love about the show, but when we get to like things we didn't like, I guess I'll, I'll touch on that. <laughs> hmm. uh, well, yeah, I guess before we do that, let's just talk about um, the the last couple episodes where it's basically like the monkey's paw, um, <laughs> and and I agree that it gets really cool. I didn't really. I mean, I, I was. I was loving the show when it seemed that Sabrina was just willing to. So, okay, so basically, what happens is these um, uh, the mean girls at the witch school cast a spell that results in the death of Sabrina's boyfriend's brother, and Sabrina thinks to herself, "Well, I'm going to use magic to get him back," and so this requires a human sacrifice. And so she, as Andrea said, slits the throat of one of these mean girls. And at that point, I was like, oh, my God, I love this show so much. <laughs> yeah. This is so good. Um, but then it turns out she has this plan to um, to bring back the mean girl using magic as well. Mm-hmm. And I did not believe that she would ever think that this could work. Um, so, I agree with you. Yeah. So, I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, good. No, good. Um, I feel the same way. That, to me, was I was really impressed by that moment when she actually cuts the sister's throat. Uh, like her misguided deep dive into necromancy almost felt like yeah. too sudden, but she was desperate. So I, and she was also, they're trying to make her come across as inexperienced and naive probably. So I liked it. Um, but I agree with you at the same time that it was kind of a cheat because she was trying to cheat the system. She was killing the girl, but not really killing the girl and trying to use the family plot to like have her cake and eat it too. I mean, come on, you know, that's not like you're dealing with the dark arts here and, and you know, Bring people back to life. You can't cheat. That. I mean, everyone was right to jump down her throat on that. And I guess that was actually pretty good. And why would she not have consulted Ambrose about whether he thought this would work? You know, that seems really odd to me. I guess we haven't even said who. Have we mentioned Ambrose? Uh, so she has. Yeah, a I don't cousin. think we have. She has a cousin yeah. who um, is a uh, who's a witch who, at some point in the past, was involved in a plot to blow up the Vatican. <laughs> And, uh, and and as a result of this is, you know, uh, because the witches don't want people drawing too much attention, he's been um, sort of he's under house arrest kind of uh, in, in, the, in Sabrina's aunt's um, house. He, uh, and, and I think people did mention that he's, he's great. I mean, I love that character yeah. so much. Um, I, I would say to your to your point about I mean, well, I guess maybe to start with Ambrose is to say, I think because Sabrina knew that no one in her family would necessarily that, that she at least suspected that everyone in her family would tell her it was a terrible idea that she then basically forbid her from from doing it and so that's why she didn't ask anyone i mean ambrose maybe was the one exception where i could imagine that 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 maybe in some other circumstance he would have at least considered it um i i would also say it seems like if it if it could possibly work he would have said he would have helped her you know it's it's only because it can't possibly work that you know, what, you know what I'm saying? That she has to keep it yeah, secret. Yeah, right, right. The fact that she's not saying it um, is well, like, I think she's, yeah, acknowledging I, that she knows it's not going to work. Um, I, I just assume that she doesn't tell anybody else because they're going to immediately go, that's the stupidest idea ever. Don't do it. So she just, she just goes ahead and does it without, because she doesn't want anybody trying to stop her. So, I mean, that's a very t- teenager thing to do. I guess that's true. Okay, so is there anything else uh, anyone wants to mention that they really liked about the show before we get into more Oh, criticism? you know what? You should bring up the, the reason she knows that she can bring the, the girl back is because the two aunts have this game where Zelda kills her sister uh, Hilda and then buries her in this 
uh, what is it? Cane pit or something? Yeah, 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 yeah. Lazarus pit, whatever it's called. It was cane pit, yeah. Cane pit. And she digs her way out and comes back to life. And it is the absolute funniest part of, I think it's the first episode where, uh, Zelda comes up behind, uh, Hilda and sma- smashes her in the head with a, <laughs> with a hammer <laughs> and then buries her. Um, so I, th- I think you should be, I, that's where they hooked me, right, right there. <laughs> when you have one sister killing another and burying her in the yard, uh, you know, I'm in. I'm all in on that. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious as well. My only um, minor critique there is I thought they kind of over-explained the way that she's brought back. I mean, I guess to me, it's almost like the more you start explaining, the more I start questioning. I'm like, how do they have the only like, how did they, where did they import the soil from another continent? And how did they get it? I don't know. It's just, are they the only ones that have that? I mean, are they the only ones killing each other and bringing each other back to life? I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Okay, any other, uh, anything else people liked they want to throw in here? Well, I, I guess I would say that I liked, and, and this sort of ties into what we were talking about with 8 and 9, is um, just the arc that Sabrina had over the season. And that, like, I had a hard time with her initially because um, she... Like, it, it is this sort of sense of, like, almost constant surprise and indignation about, like, every time they bring up, oh, like, if you become a witch, you're going to have to do this. And then she gets, like, upset about it um, in this way that, like, I think made me like her less but felt very believable for a teenager. And I think in some ways, like, worked out well where she, like, just kept saying, I don't accept this choice I have to make. And so then they said, at a, then at a certain point, you know, somebody just, you know, the, I guess the Dark Lord <laughs> accepts that she can both keep one foot in the human world and one in the in the witch world. Um, but then, you know, that these last two episodes really sort of bring to head that, that you can't always get away with that. And, and that Ambrose, you know, when he finally finds out about it, um, upbraids her about this and says, you know, you think that you are the exception to every rule, but that's not true. Um, and I thought, like, just as a way to sort of bring together things and, and sort of to pay off things that had bothered me a little bit about the earlier episodes was, like, another reason why I liked the the end of the season so much. I really enjoyed pretty much anything that had to do with uh, the high priest um, mm. or, you know, that one episode where they're sitting around the table, the, the Feast of Feasts episode. I mean, that was pretty brutal. And I really oh, liked how fabulous. Sabrina kind of was able to manipulate that situation to her advantage. Uh, and then his ongoing affair late in the season with Sabrina's aunt. I mean, I thought that oh, was great. <laughs> that, that was my all-time favorite thing, was the the two of them having the affair. And then uh, the second time they do it, where he's like, "You, we need to punish each other. And she's she just... She just physically <laughs> like has an orgasm and it is the funniest thing the two of them together is, was my f- absolute favorite thing oh i agree so much i mean the look on her face when he implies flagellation <laughs> and starts taking yeah. his shirt off <laughs> it's like it reminded me of like hellraise or something like the exquisite pleasure yeah. that we're getting, the pain yeah oh i love that so much i just want to see more of that uh well, all right. So let's get into some more criticism then. I'm going to start off with just a fairly mild criticism. But one of the things that always kind of bugs me about shows like this is that there's all these um, really, really obvious supernatural things happening. And yet somehow the witches have managed to keep everything secret. Um, so this this bugs me. I mean, if somebody mentioned the the um, scarecrow that comes to life and chases her through the um, 
Mm-hmm. The maze. The maze of hay bales. Uh, like, I mean, that was cool, but it's like, if stuff like this is, is happening in this world, how does everyone not know that witches are real, you know, or like, how is it? And, and, you know, especially when, um, Roz and Susie start developing their own powers and everything, it, it just seems like there's so much magic in this world. Uh, how is it not better understood by everybody? And, um, I, I kind of wished that it had been more, um, Especially with the, the the scarecrow coming to life, that it had not been so much a literal scarecrow coming to life and chasing her around, as that this was happening, but it was happening in more of a magical, psychological slash, you know, uh, ethereal plane sort of way, where ordinary people looking at at, at this might not see what was really happening magically um, beneath the surface of of everyday reality. Um, I don't know how how anyone feels about that. I suppose that's where the scarcity of cell phones uh, is. In a <laughs> There's not a lot of footage being uploaded. Um, yeah, I hear you. I, I wondered at times if, if with the scarecrow, it was a really great scare, but was it in her mind or real? Could an outside observer have watched it and been like, whoa, that's really crazy. I'm moving the hell out of this town. Because, you know, you wonder at some point, yeah, why are people living in that town? <laughs> yeah, when enough weird shit starts to happen, just get the hell out of there. Well, also, just operationally, when they're witches, they live longer. Um, Ambrose at one point says, I've been, you know, under house arrest here for 75 years. How does nobody notice that these people don't age if they've been here for however many years? Do they have right. to, you know, do they have to leave every once in a while and come back? You know? See, that's a good question. That kind of speaks to some other world building questions I had. I mean, it makes it seem like there's one reference in one of the episodes, finally, towards the end of the season, where they reference another church or another chapter. Because so I was curious, are they the only ones? Or is it just like a small little enclave in New England? Or what's the deal? You know, like, how big is this organization? I mean, I certainly had the sense that there were other covens elsewhere in the world. I don't know why I think that exactly. But I, 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 I think that they must mention other covens. I'm, I'm almost certain that they do. I'm pretty sure they do exactly once because I was waiting for it because I was wondering, like, is this guy the high priest of just, you know, one church or, you know, is he essentially like an archbishop? I don't know. I guess I wanted to know more about that and like the hierarchy. Yeah, It did feel like that this – yeah, I think like they may have mentioned other covens, but they also – they just talk about it. And so when they say our coven – in a way that sort of suggests that, well, then there, there are probably others, but, mm-hmm. but it did feel like weirdly insular that like everything important, um, in both the mundane and which worlds were happening in Greendale and like the outside world barely impinged on that at all. And also it's a very, it doesn't seem to be a very large coven. And if, if witches are only allowed to marry witches, that's, they're going to have some problems <laughs> at some point. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, you can always like you, you can always have the wizard did it thing where you know they use witch magic to <laughs> prevent you know inbreeding problems, and they use witch magic to make everyone not aware of their existence and stuff like that. I mean, that's the the nice thing about magic, I guess. Which I mean, we see with Harvey, right? And even the school itself. I loved all the scenes in the school, but it started to feel very small at some point. Like there was only fifteen or twenty students, <laughs> right. you know. You'd see like choir practice mm-hmm. and you'd see people milling around the statue and that was it, you know, but there was never like that Harry Potter scene where there's a whole congregation of kids in a cafeteria and you're like, oh, wow, there's several hundred or something. Hmm. Hey, just by the way, is there any, you know, the character Nick Scratch, the, the uh, hot warlock that she goes to school with that has some kind of interest in her? His name is Nick Scratch, which is uh, another name for the devil. I'm wondering if that's going to play out along the line. Is he actually a devil as a 
teenage boy to I don't know. Just ask mm. him. That's that's curious. I yeah, think there I saw there are some like online articles if you want that are like ten pieces of evidence that Nick Scratch is actually the devil. Um, none oh, of them I, I think go. are like slam dunks, and I mean it, it seems like they're the devil already exists as an adult, and he doesn't, you know, the, or at least the Dark Lord. Um, yeah, but but are they doing like a, a Trinity Catholic Trinity thing, the Father, Son, and the Holy it's, Ghost? Yeah, I, it's possible. Just, I guess I, I yeah. want. I mean, I, that could be. I also think. I mean, this is the kind of show that just likes to give people kind of playful names. So I guess I wouldn't be shocked either mm-hmm. way. I, it could. It wouldn't be shocking to me if it just in the same way that you know, um, the you know the headmaster's just named Faustus because it's a cool name. Like that that you know Nick Scratch is just Nick named Nick Scratch because it's a cool sounding warlock yeah, name. Could I, it could be either way. By the way, I love Nick's – he's a little underdeveloped, but I think he is, like, very cool, and yeah. I want to see more of him. He's yeah. much cooler than Harvey. <laughs> if that's the oh, part. Oh, God, yeah. yes. Well, that's, that was my point. That was my point was I'd rather see her with Nick Scratch, who's who's her equal, as opposed to this little puppy. Though I suppose she was turned off, at least for now, when she walked in on, on the witch orgy and he was right in the middle of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll teach his own. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if they get together, if, if if at least they get together temporarily in a future season. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if they get together and then she gets back together with Harvey and then she gets back together with Dick Scratch again and this just goes on for seven seasons. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe you guys can help clear something up for me because one of the things that I was a little hazy on, and I guess this would be one of my critiques, was at one point the high school kids and Harvey, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly – uh, one of their relatives, like there was a guy in a bedroom who yeah. gets possessed. And I thought that story. Susie's line, uncle. Right. That just didn't play for me well at all because they're, it's like they're so casual about this guy being clearly possessed. And they're just like going back to school and they're like, oh yeah, he's tied <laughs> up in the bedroom. He's okay. It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like they don't know magic or witchcraft is real. And they're just being, you know, why are they calling an exorcist or something? I mean, my God. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. That did not. Um, it, it wasn't it wasn't a selling point for me. I, they kind of lost me on that. Well, one. it seemed like both that it didn't really go anywhere, and also that I think it speaks to. And this is also part of I think how the show handles this the, the sort of secrecy of the world of witchcraft is that no one ever seems that surprised when they find out that something supernatural is happening. Which you know, I mean, given how much supernatural stuff happens, I mean, I guess that's totally fair. Um, then it, it raises more questions, but it also means that we don't have to deal with these sort of like tedious scenes of people being like, oh my God, witchcraft is we- real, magic is real. And so it, it may have been sort of dramatic expediency, but but that aspect of it didn't bother me that much. Well, I think that's also an aspect of this being one, a TV show, two, a, a t- TV show for teenagers, and also it's a comedy, you know. Yeah. Why if it, it, it's there to serve the story and it's there to serve the comedy? Um, if it was a real serious show, then yeah, I think you can take issue with the fact that wait, why doesn't all this stuff come up? You know, none, you know, you sit there and you deconstruct the whole thing; it doesn't make any sense. But if it's entertaining and it's funny, I'm, I'm just gonna not worry about that sort of thing. I mean, I guess the thing is, I don't know if it's meant to be a comedy. I mean, there's not a no. lot of humor. Oh no 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 no! Those the the whole the the uh, adult part that's all played for humor. Miranda Otto's just playing that. She is vamping the shit out of that role, and right, it's that's great. The, the ants, but I think yeah. that 
I mean, I, I guess less. This is less an argument of how I would categorize it, but I, but just in the sense that I don't think comedy sort of encompasses everything they're trying to do. I mean, I think it's meant to be genuinely. Oh scary. no, no, I think no. You're Meant to be genuinely sad when she like gives up, you know, her sort of human freedom and has to sort of cut off her ties with her friends. I think that yeah, Miranda Otto mostly is sort of just vamping it up, but there are moments where I think you're meant to feel you know genuine sympathy and, and pathos from her. Well, yeah, I think there's there's two aspects to the show. There's the teenage story, there's the Sabrina teenage story, and then there's the um, you know, say the B plot of these adults and their goofiness. So it's like it's a mix. Well, well yeah, you know? and I, I I mentioned I listened to an interview with one of the screenwriters, and he said very explicitly that the they saw it as sort of a a humor, you know, the, the, all all the sort of satanic stuff. And I mean, it was in the context of that, but he was saying that they they see this as like a you know, they don't take it too seriously and, and they think it's it's pretty funny. And that's what I liked about it. And that's what I think I didn't like um, Riverdale because Riverdale wasn't – it didn't have that aspect. Um, I was expecting it since it was the same producers. It's, isn't it also a it's Greg Berlanti show? No, it's um, um, Roberto um, yeah, Aguirre yeah. Sacasa uh, is the showrunner for both shows. Who's also, I think, right. the creative director at um, Archie Comics. Right, right. Right. Um, so – that's the humor of Sabrina is what hooked me and the lack of humor <laughs> in Archie, um, just Riverdale, I should say. Um, well, we'll, we'll see. Maybe, maybe that's why. Turned, because turned me off. I, I liked Riverdale more than this. And maybe it is because it's it's sort of more darker and moodier. Um, I mean, I liked a lot of the humor in this, like the ants again, I, I thought was just great. I wouldn't change anything about that. But I mean, if it were up to me, I would make this like 10 times darker and 10 times more satanic. And I'm sure it would get canceled right away and, and not get made in the first place. <laughs> but right, for a brief shining moment, it would be, uh, I, I would, I would just love to, like, like I said, when she actually slits the throat of, um, Agatha, uh, yes. I, I, it, yeah. like every episode would be like that if I were, if I were in charge. Absolutely. I, I'm, I am behind you on that one. I mean, the I, most I dis- the most disturbing visual might have even been, you know, the Feast of Feasts when they just cannibalize, uh, you know, the churchgoer. That didn't. That didn't. Um, I don't want to use the word horrified. That didn't surprise me so much as that she actually cut this girl's throat. Right. I mean, I was her. waiting for her to pull back in some way. Yeah. Um, if, exactly. That it's her. If somebody else had done it, I would be. I wouldn't have been surprised. But the fact that your good girl protagonist literally cuts the throat of another girl i was that one really was surprising they 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 and I, and I liked it. And when she, she blasts those twelve oh, yeah. witches with hellfire, and they're all like screaming and burning up and blue. Oh yeah, that was badass. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, so so Anthony, earlier earlier you mentioned that you hadn't been following the uh, the Satanic Temple statue controversy, but you had been following all the other controversies. What were all the other controversies? Well, I guess there's one big one, which is um, the the treatment of Prudence, and particularly what happens in in episode four. Um, so there's a scene where Sabrina they're hanging her as part of this. I think it's called the harrowing, um, basically like a like a hazing process, yeah. which you find out in the middle of the episode could actually be fatal. And then she turns the table on them and is hanging Prudence and the other weird sisters um, until they, they give in and, and sort of, you know, essentially like, you know, like say they're going to stop torturing her and stop torturing other students. And I think a lot of people thought that just the basic kind of the visual of a um, – uh, you know, a, a girl of color being hung from a tree is not, you know, is like such a loaded thing and, and sort of has all these sort of like really 
um, you know, difficult, like, real-world associations that to sort of just, like, throw that in there. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people were just not very, <laughs> were not very happy about it. I mean, I would say that I had read so much about that by the time I saw the episode that, um, I could see sort of what people were objecting to, but it also felt like a relatively brief scene that it, it didn't bother me as, as much as, as I was expecting. Um, but I mean, not to take away from people who were bothered by it, you know, for, you know, various reasons, but, but I, I thought it was a relatively small thing. Did, did you see, Anthony, did anyone say like they should have done this instead or? Like how how would you um, I think it was it? just I think there's the argument was more just like to to sh- that I, I think they they felt that the show in general wanted to sort of take this kind of colorblind approach of just like let's have a more diverse cast but like that won't necessarily be the the kind of center of who these characters are but then you that like they hadn't sort of like reckoned with that fully and so i don't think they necessarily said like this is how the scene should have gone but just like to write a story that involves you know frankly a black girl hanging from a tree like that's not necessarily something you should do unless you know i don't know it's like a a very serious film about like race relations thing but if you're just going to do this sort of like horror show that's sort of like playing with something that you you don't really know what to do with See, I mean, to me, this is fascinating because on the one hand, I, I do see the sensitivity of it and it's an interesting question. But at the same time, you just mentioned the colorblind aspect. And to me, that's got to be the thing that wins out because let's say you've written this story and, you know, it's written in there that the witches get pulled up by these magical invisible ropes and they're being hung for a moment. And then you cast the actress and she happens to be black. Are you now going to rewrite the scene? I mean, I don't know. That reminds me of like the the Tandy Newton complaint in Solo where people were upset that she got, you know, written out of the movie so early, but it's like the, even the screenwriter said, well, that becomes a dilemma. You cast the best actor you can. I think that's what we're supposed to be striving for. You don't then Mm -hmm. rewrite the part or the scene. Yeah. It didn't even occur to me. I I didn't read about that controversy, but then again, you know, I'm not a person of color, so I wouldn't immediately see that. Um, I can, I can see what the controversy is, but I agree that, um, rewriting you have to take the balance between casting a great actor and then having to rewrite the scene for them i i think is you you also have to trust in the autonomy of the actors i feel like if the actor didn't want to do the scene or objected to it they probably wouldn't have done it i mean i don't know i mean to be honest it just didn't occur to me until after the fact i thought the scene played well but then again you know Mm -hmm. i'm also I'm not the authority on this, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess the the one other thing I would add, and again, I think I'm fundamentally, I, I I'm on your guys' side of that. I think like it, you know, like you said, like you said, like if you're gonna sort of write the scene and presumably not even necessarily know the the um you know the race or ethnicity of the the actors, then part of that is perhaps you know just saying okay, well let's let's do the scene that we've written. Um, I think maybe the one other point I think they that some of the critics would argue is that. You know, it's colorblind, but to an extent, because it's still a, a show that centers on a white actress and, you know, her, her you know, the, the most, most of them, a lot of the main actors are, are white. And then I guess most importantly, the Sabrina herself is white and that the, um, you know, the, the actors of color are mostly the sort of sidekicks or foils. And, and so it's, it's colorblindness, but not quite all the way there yet. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you see that in the other, uh, and, and I know, I keep bringing up Greg Berlanti because he's, he's 
um, it's his production overall. Um, and he does all the CW shows for, um, all the DC CW shows. And I think his, his production company does Riverdale and they all shoot together in Vancouver. Um, but all of those shows, the, except for Black Lightning, all of the shows are centered on a white protagonist. And then there are, uh, uh, people of color who are supporting, um, characters. And yeah, it fosters, and also, you know, um, uh, LBGTQ characters as well. Um, and I would, yeah, I'd love to see a show that has a person of, uh, a protagonist that's a person of color that's not about that, uh, person being a person of color, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'll just say for what it's worth that in this interview I listened to with um, Joshua Conkel, he mentioned that there are no straight men writing on this show. Um, and he also described hmm. the writing room as, as diverse. I don't know the details, but, um, you know, that's, that's my understanding. I mean, I, I sort of feel like a lot of these things, it's, it's sort of like I, I'm more persuaded by um, criticisms of, of the ecosystem as a whole the sort of creative ecosystem or cultural ecosystem as a whole than of, um, you know, picking specific shows and saying, oh, they shouldn't have done that in this show. And I, I feel like art, artists have, have a right to, you know, tell the story that they want to tell. And if it, it's like more an issue to me, if it's a pattern um, than a particular uh, choice that a particular um, artist made in a particular show. I think it's a great point. Yeah, pattern versus isolated instance mm-hmm. that just happen to you know work for the story. Because I just feel like it's a slippery slope. You could take this to an absurd extent. I mean, *Handmaid's Tale*. There are scenes where the, you know the women in the colonies are being essentially treated like slaves. If you wanted to, you know, make the parallel. So I mean, at that point, do not cast a black actor because you're worried. I, I don't know. It just gets very tricky very quickly. I agree. It's 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 a slippery slope, as he said. I, I would. I guess the last point I would make is also. I think one of the challenges I think about talking about this stuff is is like, I th- I I wish there was a way when we this sort of gets all kind of filtered up into sort of the kind of broader internet discussion in as much as that exists as sort of a general abstracted thing is like it's so that you were talking about like wanting it to be about the ecosystem and not the individual like creative you know show or movie or whatever and and i and i feel like ideally you'd be able to say like oh this is problematic but this isn't about like saying these showrunners are terrible people it just means this is a problematic thing that represents this bigger question that we need to wrestle with but then i think like it it, when it gets boiled down into like hot takes and stuff it always just becomes sort of like oh these people don't get it as opposed to saying oh well that wasn't great maybe we can think about that in the future Mm-hmm. Were there any other controversies, uh, Anthony? Did you? I think that was the big one. That was what I was thinking about when we were talking about it earlier. Yeah. All right. Um, so, what do people think? Any other thoughts about what? Like, okay, so they set up this whole thing with. Um, there's this sort of flashback in the first episode where Sabrina's taking a bath, and she sees her parents, and then she sees two babies on a altar or something, and then she pulls up the sheet, and one of them has. Mm-hmm. Woven hooved goat legs. Goats. Uh, yeah. What do people think is going? What is going on there? She has a twin who's a, a, a half devil. Why would her twin be a half devil rather than a half witch? Why doesn't nobody <laughs> realize that these people don't age? I don't know. That's what we find out in the next series. Maybe I don't know. 
You asked for theories. There's my theory. Uh, any other theories? Have we have we met this twin? Do you think? No. 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 But there's a reason. There's a reason that the Dark Lord wants her. They've made that very clear. But I don't think they've made the clear the reason why he wants her and why her dad had to give it her to the Dark Lord. Isn't, sorry, isn't um, there at birth? Isn't there a line in the uh, at the very end where we find out that Mrs. Wardwell or Miss Wardwell wants to be basically the devil's wife, right, or something? And something her familiar like that, says, yeah. "Oh, but maybe he wants Sabrina to be his wife or consort or partner, or whatever, instead." And then she kills yes. um, the <laughs> crow or raven or whatever it is. Uh, it, it seems like, yeah, that for right. whatever reason, the devil wants Sabrina as his bride, right? Is that I, I, that that seems pretty clear to me at this point? Yeah, but th- but we don't know why. There's some. What's so special about her beyond the fact that she clearly is very powerful? Well, is it because it must be because she's half witch, right? Because there's there's a line. Um, uh, Father Blackwood says something about how ordinarily it's forbidden for warlocks and humans to marry, but mm-hmm. um, they, her her parents got a special they got a special dispensation. The Dark Lord himself, right? So something something there's something going on there, clearly. Yeah. Any other any other theories for this? Did it, Anthony, you seem like the kind of person who would have read up on some fan theories. <laughs> I, I mean, the, I, I, to be honest, uh, I haven't seen a lot of speculation about season two. Um, I don't know if that's just because I, I missed it or anything, but, um, I mean, I guess the, the one other thing, I mean, I'm trying to think if there were anything else that they were just like setting up. Um, I mean, I, there was like a little bit of setup that there's some, something going on with Dr. Cerberus, but honestly, I didn't care mm. enough about Dr. Cerberus <laughs> to really, <laughs> where that yeah. was going um i'm definitely curious about yeah nick Scr- nicholas scratch to see if there's more to to that than than we've seen so far well, but, why, don't, why don't you say uh, anthony who is dr cerberus um so he owns the uh the bookshop in in town um and uh and i always get the two sisters confused um hilda hilda, uh, hilda. hilda goes to work yeah hilda goes to work for him and uh he and then you know they sort of develop what by the end of the season has be is like sort of the beginnings of a romantic relationship, um, which is also interesting because I guess you know Hilda has essentially been been celibate as part of being a, a witch, and at a certain point it's sort of alluded to that she's st- or stated outright that she's still a virgin. Um, but I guess now that she's been excommunicated, maybe some of those rules don't apply to her anymore. So they kiss, and then he walks off, and you see like something going on with his, his eyes, as if he's like demonic or something. Mm, um, I miss that. Something- yeah, it was very like, but it just you kind of. I was like watching for it because they just held on his face for so long. You're like, why yeah. is no, this yeah. going on for so yeah, long? And then like suddenly, the, like, a, you know, like at the end of the Michael Jackson's Thriller video when he turns around, he kind of has like the yellowish cat eye kind of thing. Yeah, so it was sort of like that. Oh, I missed that. Damn. Right. Um, I'll just mention about Doctor Cerberus. I I actually I, I didn't get a chance to track this down, but I, I at one point I searched the showrunner's name. I think I'm trying to remember how I came across this, but it looked like there was some pre-existing movie or something that Doctor Cerberus was a character in. Because in the- I knew that actor. Or, oh, you mean the character Doctor Cerberus? Yeah, because no, yeah, because the character in the show he's like an elf. I, I think he used to be an Elvira type person who like at late at night would like host uh-huh. movies on like public access TV or something something like that. And I, I just I just I, I swear like if you search for uh Roberto Aguero Sacasa on iTunes, I think is how I saw it. There there's there, there was some other movie from years ago 
that was with Dr. Cerberus something something that um, I'd have to, I'll have to go go do more research on that though. Yeah, I like seeing the actor because he was from Back yes! Alaska, if I'm not mistaken. Although you know, at at first I thought he was Taika Waititi. I don't know. <laughs> he kind of similar. Like... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I guess we could mention if you, you you may have seen these actors before. Miranda Otto was Eowyn in Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. or you know, Zelda was Eowyn in Lord of the Rings, yeah. and um, Judy Hill- Davis was Judy Davis, not Judy Davis, um, uh, Lucy Davis. Lucy Davis was uh, in Wonder Woman. Yeah, she was the the secretary. Yeah, and in The Office. Oh, interesting. The uh, the British version of The Office. Oh yeah, I never watched that. Sorry. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Ah. Uh, and of course, uh, Michelle Gomez was in Doctor yeah. Who. So, you know, I loved her character, but I also thought her other character was the most tragic oh, of the yeah. whole series. Basically, the or- the original Mary Wardwell. No one even knows yeah. she's dead. No one grieved for her. I know that was very sad. Did she seem a little possessed even before she got possessed? They they did that little bait and switch there. You you don't know I, totally which I did. loved. I thought that was fantastic. Because there was a moment where you thought the actual Mary Ward exactly because she's pouring that you know? tea and you, you, which immediately makes you think, "What's in the tea? What's she going to do to this girl?" <laughs> um, so yeah, they they did a great um, switcheroo there, and I love that. You know what though? I, I feel like I'm already on board for a prequel that's all about Ambrose. I can't get <laughs> enough of that character. Like I want to see the attack yeah. on the Vatican. You know? And I'm all about I'm all about prequels these days. Fantastic Beasts has me in the mood, I guess. <laughs> really? I heard it was uh, well. Right, <laughs> that's stay, a different discussion. Stay, stay on target. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, did did you uh did you hear they're doing a Christmas? Yes, I just spring? saw that yesterday. I was very excited. Yeah. A Midwinter's yes. Tale, and it will revolve around the Church of Night's annual celebration of the winter <laughs> solstice. Uh, how how long is it? Like, is it a feature mm, length say. thing, or or like one no. episode length, or? If I had to bet, it'll probably be like an episode and a half, like yeah, ninety minutes. Yeah, but you will be. If it's sure. a special, yeah. Um, I'm looking at the listing for it now on Wikipedia, and it doesn't say. Yeah, it says families will gather around the Yule fire to sing pagan carols and tell ghost stories. <laughs> so yeah, if I had to bet, it'll probably be like a collection of three ghost stories or something. They'll do like the Black Mirror. Christmas oh, I like that idea. One. Yeah, an anthology. Mm. Hmm. Because especially since they don't want to get a jump on season two, but you know, so they're kind of at a point where they probably need to do flashback stories just to be entertaining without stepping on season right. two. Right, and there definitely will be a season two. Um, you yeah, know, the, the Netflix committed off the right off the bat, I think, to a two season. Did they go right into production? There's no downtime, no hiatus. I think they just rolled over back to back productions. I think they did because it was a two season right. guarantee right. from the get go. Did do we talk about things we didn't like? Do did we like specifically talk about criticisms or? Um, do, yeah, well, hit us. We got we got a couple, just five minutes left. Give us all oh. your criticisms in five minutes. Oh God. Um, now I'm drawing a blank. Crap. Uh, <laughs> what were my criticisms? Well, well we I know mean, you didn't like Harvey, which is I, the correct <laughs> opinion. Yes, well, I did. Did you like Harvey or not? I'm not. I didn't. <laughs> I may not have liked Harvey. Um, yeah. Inter- I, inter- now I'm drawing a blank. Interesting side note: He played a young Jeffrey Dahmer in um, My Friend Dahmer. Oh. Which is actually really good. Hmm. Hmm. 
you know, in the end, I had a lot of very minor criticisms as I went, but it was a very engrossing series. I mean, I watched it all in less than a week, and I was pretty impressed. I mean, I, I'm, I'll be there. Yeah, I, I'm. I agree with that. I, I, I was. T- I'm totally there for season two. Hopefully. You said Raphael that you know some people who worked on the show or something. Is there anything more to say about that? Oh sure, um, Axel Carolyn is a is a friend of mine, and um, she was one of the staff writers. I think she wrote episode uh, eight, and um, she's a she's a great, very talented writer director. If you're not familiar with her work, check out her. Um, she she directed one of the short films in Tales of Halloween, which came out a couple years ago, a really scary one. And uh, she also directed a film. Uh, the title's escaping me, but if you check her IMDb, a really cool ghost story that came out four or five years ago. All right, cool. Andrea, have you thought of any other criticisms? I have not. Sorry. So it must have been – oh, well, you liked the show, right? So I did. I really liked the show. I mean, any criticisms I have are, are, are pretty minor, so All right, cool. sorry. I brought it up and then I drew a blank. <laughs> Super go. Uh, yeah, well, maybe uh, maybe a witch used magic on you to make you forget all your criticism. Probably, probably. I'm sure that's exactly what happened. <laughs> uh, Anthony, final thoughts? Um, I guess I would just say that, just re- reiterate that if you don't like the first few episodes of the show, um, it's it's worth keeping going, at least if you're interested in the setting and the world building, like, because it goes, it becomes much more interesting and, and much better, in my opinion. Um, I would also just say that I really enjoyed the fact that it was a Netflix show rather than a CW show, so they could actually, mm. like, act, show people's throats getting cut open and, like, ripping their faces off and stuff, and um, not that there was a ton of that, but it, it definitely went further than a network show could go, and, and I enjoyed that. Yeah. Oh, I- and and the thing I love about Netflix also, just to add to that, is that I am all in on the binging uh, aspect. Um, I've been watching a lot of CW shows lately, and having to do it as they air is one of the most frustrating things ever, and it ruins the show, frankly, and and reminds me why I stopped watching network television. Um, Netflix is the best thing to happen to um, storytelling and, you know, visual storytelling in a long time, frankly. Um, I, I, that just reminds me though, that, um, I don't know if we said explicitly, but, um, this show and Riverdale are set in the same universe. And so a lot of people are, are looking forward to a crossover. But again, um, the, this interview, the, the writer said that unfortunately, because, um, uh, Riverdale is on the CW and this is on Netflix that just for like legal contract reasons, it's just so hard to do a crossover that it's, it's probably not going to happen. But he said everybody, you know, really wanted to, who are, who are working on the show. So maybe down the, the road it might. Um, I also heard um, the, the showrunner um, say that he would really love to do a, a crossover with Riverdale and Arrow. So, um... <laughs> oh, uh, Well, it almost seems like they're setting the seeds for a crossover because I don't really watch Riverdale, but I did catch the season finale and it, it went into the occult a little. I've only seen season one, so no spoilers. But... Yeah, same. Okay. Okay. Well, wasn't Sabrina originally in the comics, the Archie comics, as a character? Yeah, yeah. And then got spun off? Oh, that I don't know. And I mean, also... Um, they definitely did crossovers in the comics, but I don't know yeah. what order things happened in. Um, and also, this was originally supposed to be a CW show and then was taken by Netflix. So, you know, for what that's worth, <laughs> which is probably not much. I feel like where there's a will, there's a way, because they've had, you know crossovers between networks in the past so maybe at some point all right so we are pretty much out of time so just on a final note i just want to say hail satan (laughs) hail satan (laughs) praise satan (laughs) 
<laughs> All right, great. So we've been speaking with Anthony Ha, Andrea Kale, and Raphael Jordan. So thanks, everyone, so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. And that was our panel. So big thanks again to Anthony Ha, Andrea Kale, and Raphael Jordan for joining us on the show. Big thanks as well to Ruth Wardrip and Jeff Reese, who both just signed up this week to support us on Patreon. Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com slash geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time contribution, you can do that via check or PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. And I want to give a special thank you to Leonard Tatangia, who just made a very generous contribution to the show via PayPal. Leonard writes, Thank you for a wonderful podcast. You've brought many hours of joy and enlightenment into my life. So big thanks again to Leonard Tatangia, Jeff Reese, and Ruth Wardrop, and to everyone else who's contributed. We really appreciate it. All right, so that was our show. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkirtley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.